welcome to the Creating Ripples podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Zahner. I believe in the power of sharing our experiences and knowledge with others, and when we do, we are creating ripples of impact around us. Each week, get ready for intimate personal shares, honest, relatable conversations, aha moments, and so much more. This space was designed to create empowerment, inspiration, community, and provide guidance to elevate those around us. I am so excited to have you here. Get ready and let's start creating ripples. Hello, welcome to the Creating Ripples podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Zahner, and today I'm bringing you a new style of in a podcast episode where I was actually a guest on a podcast. It's called the True North Podcast and they've actually since stopped publishing episodes and it was set to air last November and I reached out to them and said, I'd love to share this conversation that we had with my audience. What do you say? And they sent me it over and now you will be getting to listen to the conversation myself and Rachel and Janelle who have both been on the podcast before from the True North Collective and I discuss sobriety and life and living out your truest self going against the fears of sobriety, how to recover, what that looks like, how it looks different for everybody. We talk about all sorts of different things within the realm of sobriety. It's a really empowering and authentic conversation that I cannot wait for you to hear. What I love about this episode is they kick things off actually by each of us sharing three random facts that we know or three random facts about ourselves. Then we'll go right into the conversation And I cannot wait to hear what you all think about this. And as always, keep sharing out this podcast. Leave a rating or review if you have yet to yet. And I look forward to hearing what you think of a new style of episode today. Here we go. Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm learning to deeply love my body as it ages. I'm really into poetry lately, and I miss rainy days. Hi, I'm Alex. I have a deep passion for Boom Chocolata Ben & Jerry's ice cream. One of my favorite things to do is watch the sunset over Lake Carnelian where my family lives and my husband and I rode a Ferris wheel on our wedding day because that was where we went for our first date. Talked them into letting us on the Ferris wheel to take a ride in our my dress and in his suit. Hi, I'm Janelle. I love my middle part. The smell of wet concrete takes me back to my childhood. And I recently learned that freckles grow back even if you rip them off. Okay, do you mean moles? Freckles. How do you rip a freckle off? I, well, this is, okay, I say recently, this happened like a couple months ago, but I was really searching for random facts. I was hiking and we were bushwhacking and like, it just completely cut open my skin right above a freckle and the freckle is gone. But then as the heat, like the skin healed, it wasn't there. It wasn't there. And then eventually the freckle came back. Crazy. That's a fun fact for me to now take along with me on (laughs) my way. (laughs) I know. I was like, I've never like ripped a freckle off my body, but it was just like super interesting watching it heal and just having it disappear. And then it wasn't really there. And then my skin heals more and it's just back. It's like, you can't get rid of those bitches. What's the boom chocolata flavor? Oh, I'm about to take you on a journey. I know. <laughs> um, okay. Have you ever had Dairy Queen ice cream? Oh yeah. So, you know, like the chocolate crumble, that's obviously everyone's favorite. 
So boom chocolata core is what Ben, ben and Jerry's does where they have like a centered core. And so the center, like, I don't know how, like maybe a few inches diameter is like that chocolate cookie crumble in the center. And then half of the um, pint is like a mocha ice cream with chocolate chip. And then the other half is a caramel ice cream with like brownie bites. It is it's so good. And like, I never want to finish the core because once it's gone, it's so sad. I'm so obsessed with it. When we went to my bachelorette party, my friends didn't know if they would be able to get it up in Grand Marais. So they packed four pints in the cooler and brought them up just so that I would have them at my bachelorette party. Dude, it's, okay. it's an obsession. Okay. Do you eat around it and then take the core and then eat the core last? I take like a little bit with it and then I get some ice cream too. But sometimes I do save it till the end. That's what I do with my Dairy Queen ice cream cake. I'll go vanilla first because it's like it's vanilla. Then I'll take the frosting and I'll eat the chocolate ice cream. Then I'm like, yeah, the cookie crumble. Here we go. But once people try it, it's like their life has changed. I worked at Ben and Jerry's all through high school. And so that was like my jam, but I am a little bit lactose intolerant. So if they don't have the almond versions, I've like really can't do it, which is so sad. They're getting better at offering more flavors, but if they bring that in almond, I'm I'm all day. I'm in. I love being known for like a, a certain type of food too. That's how I am with boom chocolata. If my friends, except it's like instead of people asking me where to get it, if my friends see it, there was a period where I couldn't find it, like months where I couldn't find it, and I was devastated. And one of my best friends she was at a target and she saw it and she just bought me four pints and was like, Hey, I have four pints of boom chocolate for you. And I was like, Holy crap. I am so in love with you right now. I have not been able to find this. This is like freaking gold. So yeah. And then we have backups. So like my husband will sometimes he'll like bring home ice cream. And if he can't find it, we've got like a few backup flavors that he knows that I'll be like really pumped about. So, cause it's, it's a hot commodity. I don't know. I can't find it. We are welcoming Alex to the podcast today. Alex is a fitness coach, yoga instructor, podcast host, traveler, and spreader of goodness. Her goal is to support, empower, and elevate those around her by helping them find their inner strength and confidence. Alex is a co-founder of Embolden Mama, an empowerment community for mamas, a general manager and coach at Alchemy 365, and has been involved in the fitness industry for over seven plus years. She has a passion for cultivating community, providing guidance and insight while helping others feel less alone by sharing her real, sharing her real and vulnerable life experiences. Her goal is to open up, share using her voice, and to create a space of empowerment. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here and I've been really looking forward to it. I think I scheduled this a few months ago. So I'm like so excited that it's finally happening. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I love that. We've been pretty booked up, which I feel bad because we like get really excited to invite people on and then we're like, and we don't have a slot for a couple of months and it's going to be a little while until your podcast goes live, but we're always so excited when it's actually time to have it. Yeah, I'm, done. I, I'm excited to be here. I think it's going to be a really good topic of conversation. I love this topic, but before we get into the topic at hand, what does it look like to be Alex today? Yeah, what it looks like to be Alex today. So right now I'm 30 years old. I live in Minnesota. 
I'm married to my husband, Jordan. We have a 15 month old and I have a 16 week old in my belly right now. Um, and I love to spend my time with my family and my friends working out, exploring the outdoors. I love to just take time to go out on a walk. I try and I'm trying to get better at leaving my phone behind so I can really just enjoy the mile walk maybe that I'm taking because it might be like my only break from technology for the day. I'm almost, I'll be seven years sober in September and that's a huge foundation to who I am right now. I wouldn't be talking to either of you if I wasn't sober. I probably wouldn't be married to my husband, have my daughter Clara and one baby on the way the relationships that I have with my family friends new friends especially in this last year it's been so pivotal um and so like me today right now I feel like I'm more myself than I've ever been and that's something that I'm so proud of I feel just so aligned in what I'm doing as my full-time job the communities that I'm creating for other moms um for other sober people and just trying to really focus in on connection and filling my time with things that fill me up versus things that I feel like I have to say yes to. And I feel me today is just someone that's like living their life to their fullest. Now, sometimes that's not every day. Granted, sometimes all of a sudden I'll look at my schedule. I'm like, holy shit. I said, way too, I said yes to way too many things. Like I need to like step back and pause and reassess like, okay, what's filling my cup up? I have to be better about setting those boundaries and saying no, but right now I feel like I'm just living my life as like me and I'm not afraid to like share that with anybody. That's so beautiful. I know. I'm like, I need me some of that. I feel like I'm on a similar journey, but it is really nice just to hear someone else on the same path. And there's a lot of parallels too, to like some of the things that you're maybe wrestling with in my life. What does sobriety mean to you? Yeah, to me, sobriety personally means not consuming alcohol, not using alcohol as a way to escape life. It To me, sobriety is just showing up as your own self with nothing to hide behind. Um, for me, it felt like, when I was consuming alcohol, I wasn't actually the person that I wanted to be. I was like this person that I thought I needed to be. And to be sober, it's just like, you have to show up without this protection over you. You just have to show up as yourself. There's nothing you can hide behind. There's nothing to mask your feelings. You have to feel all of it. And actually last night in my women's sober group, my friend for the first time ever, and now we are coining the phrase, she said, when you're sober, your raw dog in life. And now it's like my favorite thing in the entire world because it is so ridiculous, but it's like so true. Like you're just going at it, no protection, whatever. And it was like six girls and we were like crying, laughing so hard. And I was like, have you said this before? She's like, no, it just came to me. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm probably going to go on my Instagram story and call you out for it because it's like the best thing I've ever heard. And I did. And I like hashtag I'm raw dogging life. And people that didn't listen to the sound were like, first, I thought this was going to be a story about how you got pregnant with Clara or something like, but it, and it was just like a really funny way. And I was like, it's actually like kind of a simple way of putting what sobriety is though. in just like a really odd contest. Dude, it's brilliant actually. Um, 
Yeah. And the reason that I ask is because um, I think a lot of what you said starts with alcohol, but um, speaks to the ability to just recognize anything that you're using in your life to stop yourself from being you. Um, I mean, we have as a, we're, we're on a Ragnar team and we all decided to stop drinking for 90 days. Plus, yeah. The beginning of 2020. Yeah. And when we were done, we were like, should we keep going? And so we've kept going and every single one of us has not drank since then. I mean, I will say for myself, I, um, how I, uh, my relationship to sobriety is, um, not, uh, like abstinence. And so that's my, that that's what works for me, but I've found that the ability to practice that in, from, in my relationship with alcohol has like stemmed into so many other areas of like, where else am I using something to hide from life to hide who I actually am from life. Um, and I've been actually really surprised at how, how much it actually is, is there even healthy things, um, that personal development, um, work, like there's a lot of stuff that can quickly become used to, um, you know, uh, protect, become a condom over myself. <laughs> I love that. That's going to be a theme. We're going to like, <laughs> We're it told to her we're gonna have to like <laughs> coin it and make it a phrase in the sobriety world now I think it's just too good it's necessary yeah I I'm really excited to have this conversation because since we did um our like alcohol free or dry 90 days in early 2020 I have mostly not drank I haven't been like drunk or anything since prior to doing that but like occasionally I still will have like a drink like a glass of wine or champagne or something but um for a while I didn't drink at all and I've been trying now to figure out like what place does alcohol actually have in my life and what it looks like and I'm coming at it from the perspective of like the only reason um like I'm choosing not to drink is not because it had become like such an extreme problem. I mean, depending on who you ask, I think it was a problem, but um, not to the point where it's like, you know, I have to cold turkey it, which sometimes for me is like even more challenging, right? Because it's like it, one of the, the refreshing things about doing those 90 days and just saying like, I'm not going to touch it at all was that it was really black and white. So to live in the gray space of like, okay, now I know that I don't need alcohol in my life to, for a lot of the reasons that you had mentioned, I don't want to use it to numb out. I don't want to use it when I'm lonely, but to Rachel's point, something generally kind of fills that in too. So it's really just like paying attention to what I'm substituting or when I'm choosing to numb out. Um, but I've been asking a lot of people because it's caused some friction in my life. And that is also why I'm excited about this conversation on like being around like sometimes it's fine being around other people at drink. Sometimes it's caused like a little bit of, um, yeah, I guess friction is the right word for it, but like it has caused some friction with some of my relationships. And I have also just been trying to figure out like what it, what it looks like. Cause I find myself like, oh, maybe I just drink because like, I don't want to deal with the, I don't know, the social repercussions of like, explaining myself or someone else feeling uncomfortable because they're drinking alone or da da da. And I'm like, no, like it's so anyway, I will, we'll get into it, but there's so much here that I'm really excited to unpack. And Alex, like hear your experience on it, because I, 
I am still navigating it, even as someone who has more so made the decision that alcohol has a very, very minimal place in my life. Well, a few things stuck out that both of you were talking about, but actually last night, so I started this women's sober group with other women that are in their twenties and thirties that are sober just as a way to connect. Um, all of us got sober through different ways. So I got sober through an outpatient program and AA. Uh, some of them just decided alcohol wasn't serving them. They didn't do any sort of treatment. Some of the women read the book, quit like a woman, which I don't know if either of you have heard of. Oh man. Okay. I'll have, we'll have to get into that. That's like a whole other discussion. And so they, we all just, I was connected to them in different ways. And I just kept realizing like, I have a lot of sober women in my life. Like I think there's 10 of us and we should just start connecting. And so it's almost like someone told me that they call it the A to Z because of my initials. So it's like their own AA, but it's the A to Z meeting. And I'm like, okay, we'll roll with that. But as of last night, I actually rebranded us to the raw dogs because it was like too, I, could, I couldn't I could handle it. After it happened, I was like, this is insane that you just said that. Um, but, and so we've been meeting every Tuesday and we started just by meeting on Zoom and everyone got to know each other a little bit. And we've just started, everyone shared their stories and connecting, but last night, um, what we discussed was fear and how fear comes up in sobriety. And what uh, came up for a lot of the women was fear around as things start to become more social, because it was really easy. Um, those first few months, a lot of them are under a year sober to not have to go to social things and to not have to explain to anybody, I'm, I'm not drinking or I'm sober. And so the fear that they were talking about was, well, how how do I go about that? Like, I'm really fearful around people asking me, like, why don't you drink? Or do you want to drink? And then I have to say, like, I'm sober. And I still feel like I don't know how I connect with that word or how I identify to that word. And I'm like, in my opinion, I don't, A, I don't think you owe an explanation to anybody. And so what we kind of all talked about last night was you can just say to someone, like, I don't drink. And hopefully, like, they are mature enough to recognize, like, they don't have, or you don't owe them anything, right? Like you don't have to say like, I don't drink because and like tell them your whole life story. I think there's a difference though. If it's like people in your close friend group, you want to be able to confide in them. You want to actually help them to like empower you in your decisions. And so I think that's where there's a shift. Um, when I got sober, the first people I told were my family and my closest friends, because I knew it was going to be just like, it was a huge shift for me, but what you were talking about of how do you go about that? It's, it's a lot of knowing that it's okay, that you don't have to explain yourself to anybody, which I think is there brings up a lot of fear, a lot of worry around that. And I find when people get uncomfortable with people that aren't sober, it's because it causes them to reflect into their own drinking habits. Uh, so let's say, um, you know, it sounds like you didn't have, like, I blacked out a lot, but you were saying it, it didn't sound like that was something that you can relate to. But so maybe your friends are wondering, well, like, if she's not drinking and she didn't black out, she never got a DUI, she never got arrested and she's stopping drinking. Well, crap, my drinking's a lot worse. Like, do I need to get sober? And I think sometimes it causes this like introspection of people starting to assess themselves and that can be hard because I think that's where sometimes people can project, project onto us of like, 
well, why aren't they drinking? Is my drinking worse? Do I need to get sober? Is that's what I tend to notice sometimes when people get uncomfortable in those situations. My ex-boyfriend, when we were together, when we started the, the dry 2020 and we had a conversation cause he's from Wisconsin and like, it's a big drinking culture there. And, and he was like, and I was like, so I'm going to do this. And I was super nervous about it because it, it had become just a part of our like social, like what you would do to like relax. And, um, and then I wasn't going to participate in that as much. And so I actually am fairly appreciative of, of the dialogue that we had. Um, we didn't necessarily always figure out how to, how to, um, collaborate, but in that specific situation, we actually really did. And I, I, I explained to him, for me, it was like alcohol created, creates a lot of anxiety for me. It's like very um, triggering. It allows me to not be able to like regulate my system um, well, which already, I didn't know at the time, but is already like um, operating not at at a like functioning level, I guess you would say. Um, And so to explain that to him and then to have him be able to say, I don't want to have to stop I don't want you to judge me because I am, if I choose to have however many beers, however many nights in a row. And I was just like, cool. Thank you for telling me that I won't do that. This is a choice for me and you get to make the choice for you. And neither of us want to be pressured either way is really what it came down to. Like, I didn't want him to influence me to have to be a certain way so that he could feel good about him. And he didn't want that either in, in either direction. And so when we came to that realization, it kind of, I don't know, it just worked itself out. We kind of like had fun even figuring out like what would be my drink. So like, let's get me the the fun, like the fancy LaCroix, you know, like let's not just do LaCroix, like let's get the fancy one. And, you know, what else could we do? And interestingly enough, he actually would kind of you know, some nights he was like, Oh, maybe I won't tonight. And let's just see. And there was just no pressure. And I think that was, um, I'm on reflection. I'm realizing that that could have gone a very different way and it didn't. And, um, I think that that's helped me to be able to step into like owning it for myself and not feeling like I'm having to like prove anything or defend anything, or like I get to just be me. Yeah. Sometimes, and I'll open it up to both of you. If you have this experience, I feel like initially when I stopped drinking, or I would say like, I don't drink, it wasn't as hard, but the longer, like Alex, your point, the longer I've gone, I feel like it's getting harder. Cause I definitely have friends who, for example, my friend Jess, similar, like we'll go out, she'll get her drink. And then she's like, oh, they could really make you a mocktail. Like ask for a mocktail, you know, she'll have fun with it. And you know, like we'll do that. Um, but then I'm finding that internal now. And I think it's also like with COVID in 2020, there was almost a, like a let up because bars and restaurants weren't really open. So I'm sure there's like a shift now that things are changing, but where I'm starting to get in my head around, like, am I missing out on this experience? Like, so for example, on on Easter, we went hiking with a group and then we went wine tasting afterwards. And I just have coffee because one, I had to drive home and I was like, if I even have like couple tastings of wine. I'm probably going to be drunk and I can't drive home. So, um, so that was number one, but then two, I was like, I kind of feel like this, like the experience of consuming wine and like having someone really explain it. And like the beauty of the craft, I was like, man, like I kind of wish 
I was experiencing it. And so like, I have this weird disconnect sometimes where I feel like I'm missing out or even sometimes I worry now, and this is all internal that people are going to stop inviting me to certain things because I don't drink. And I think my like real close friends, they like, they know I can go hang out at a bar and be totally fine without drinking. But, um, I'm like definitely starting as I expand and as I start to meet new people that like, they know me, but they don't know me at that level. I'm like feeling that disconnect of like, oh, this person might not invite me because they just automatically assume I don't want to be there because I'm not drinking, which in some cases that's true. But in a lot of cases, it's like, I can kick it at a vineyard or wine tasting and I can still have like a ton of fun and it doesn't bother me. Um, so I, I will open it up if either of you have had an experience like that. And if you have how you like, how do you navigate it? Yeah. So one of the things that you were talking about are just like that internal worry. Um, so I'm, we're reading this book in my book club, the untethered soul. Have either of you read it? And it's just like all about your thoughts, at least the part that I'm in right now, like your thoughts and like, are your thoughts your own or are they thoughts that like someone else projected onto you and now they're coming like through your thoughts, which is like this for a while. I was like, what the fuck is he saying to me? Like, I don't understand. And I had my friend texting me. She's like, I don't understand. How are my thoughts? Not my thoughts. And then I had to be like, well, did someone project this onto you? And now you're like coming at yourself. And so I think sometimes we like internalize like this fear that other people are going to feel uncomfortable around us when we're sober or they're not going to know how to act around us. But I think one thing that I've learned personally that really works well for me in sobriety is like, I, the reason that I got sober and I can go into that a little bit later, but it, it wasn't because I was like doing it for health reasons or anything. It was because I felt like I wasn't showing up as like the person that I wanted to be. And so when opportunities arise for me to go be a part of drinking things, like I still go and I hang out with my friends, but I don't feel as though I'm missing on an experience. I feel like I'm getting a lot more out of it because I'm actually getting like those true and real connection pieces. And that's like what I really want to have in life. Um, but I hear exactly what you're saying of that experience, like the wine tasting going through things. And so how I've kind of learned to navigate that is I'll either bring like my own mocktail or my own beverage of choice. Um, sometimes I might just say no, and it's like setting those boundaries. Um, but in terms of navigating it, I think trying to look at it as you're still showing up as you and with those people that you're meeting that don't know you any other way. I think just expressing like, this is me. And like, this is how I am. I love to be a part of events. I love to go out and do things. And I think slowly over time as a society, we're going to start to realize like sober people are no less fun than someone drinking. That's at least my hope and that it will become more of like this norm, but it's definitely going to take a while. And so I think like the three of us, not drinking at each event or things like that, that's going to start to like introduce that idea and mindset to more and more people. And when we go and we like to be at weddings or we go out on the dance floor, my friend that is, she got sober January 1st, she went to karaoke sober for the first time. And like, everyone's like, are you sure you want to come? And she went up and she was dancing and like getting it down. And so I think it's just like having those conversations, even if they are new people of just like, 
yeah, this is me and I'm sober, but I still love to go to the bar. I still love to be included in the events. And I'll show you like, I'm probably going to be like actually the most fun that you're going to have with me. The sober I'm, one, like, you know? I'm the most fun and I can drive your ass home. So <laughs> well, exa- exactly. And that's the thing. I think it's just showing people that like, just because you're sober, doesn't mean you're missing out. It actually means like you're living life like way more full. You're really getting to experience it, feel all the things. And I think that's a really beautiful part that people don't always realize in sobriety. So often we look at sobriety as this thing that causes us to miss out, but actually it's providing us this opportunity to like go all in, be all there, really experience what's going on, have those deeper connections with people and allow ourselves to just experience life the way that it was meant to be experienced. Yeah, I, I too, so I went to a Indiana University and honestly, I, I, I don't, and then went right into advertising. Um, I could down more than a bottle of wine in a night and wake up early the next day, work out, show up, present, be full on. Um, looking back on it, I'm just like, I've, I've blacked out, the, I mean, countless times I uh so I I can relate to um and I I would pride myself I'm like oh I have Mediterranean blood so like you literally can't tell that I'm drunk which is true like I had ex-boyfriends who would be like stop giving her anything else she is blacked out right now and they'd be like no way she's like doing it and he's like I can tell do not give her anything else and like Um, I, so when I have stopped, like my journey has been recognizing how numbed out I actually was. And so the, the, the very big difference of like what it feels like now to be present in everything kind of surpasses any of the social stuff. Um, like I, I, I don't feel like I'm missing out. Although I will say that I've never dated sober. And so this is the first time that I've ever been single sober. And that's where I actually feel nervous is like, I think that's such an easy, um, like, um, entry way into like, okay, let's just ease the tension here and like have a beer or two and like, oh, you're fun. You don't take yourself too seriously. Like that's where I have, I I definitely can relate to what I think the experience is going to be, Janelle, um, that feels similar where I'm like, God, it seems like a big thing to bring on like a first date. And like, do I just have a beer and like not worry about it? Do I? And I, I'm really not, I, I'm not there yet because I'm not trying to date at this point, but that's definitely been in the back of my mind. Um, and then the other thing that came up is I am realizing right now how much I've taken for granted the people in my life who have lived sober. Um, my mom it has been sober since I was and so I've seen what it looks like for somebody to go out and like come with me to college things with on mom's weekend and like be the most fun person at the bar totally sober (laughs) and like see how she has navigated it so like I'm realizing from this conversation that that was like how grateful I actually am for that because um maybe that's also where I'm kind of like, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, and then I have friends that are older than me, than me that have also provided that, that modeling that, um, but at the end of the day, like 
the, the worry is still there. I mean, the rejection piece, like no one wants to feel rejected. Um, so. I think I've shared this with you, Rachel, but I was date, like I was going on dates. I mean, I haven't since we quit. And I will say like, just putting it out there right away. One, like people, like I have it on my Tinder profile that I don't really drink. So like people can opt out and read it and choose not to go. I will say it was kind of cool. Like a lot of people showed up in a, like a really cool way at first of being like, oh yeah, it's totally cool. Like, let's just go for coffee or tea or like pivoted really seamlessly, which I think was beautiful. Cause I definitely had that fear. And now when I date, I also very much, um, and Alex, you mentioned connection. Cause to me, when I think of sobriety and not drinking, a lot of it is tied to the word connection. Like enough alcohol to me fuels disconnection. Like I've had drinking buddies that didn't know boo about me. We just went out because we drank. That was our only connection point. There was no depth to it. And I've noticed even in dating, if I'm around someone and they feel the need to consume like more alcohol when they're with me, to me, that means that and maybe I'm totally projecting. So I don't know, maybe this isn't the best approach, but what I feel like I have noticed is when they do that, like, I actually don't think they're that into me. Like they're not really just enjoying spending time with me sober. And to me, it's almost like, okay, I am like sensing that maybe they are numbing out from the fact that this experience isn't exactly what they want it to be. And they are using alcohol to therefore just like have a quote unquote better time with me. And, and I think it's not that black and white either, but I have noticed that in like relationships and I almost use it as like, okay, if someone's constantly drinking when they're with me, even when we're not doing activities that necessarily like warrant drinking, um, I, it actually makes me like kind of lean away and be like, I don't, I'm not really sure how, how much of a connection they're actually is here and it'll make me like analyze the connection a little bit more too. So I've noticed that. And I think I've also come to the conclusion that I don't think I can drink someone who drinks someone, I can date someone (laughs) that um, like drinks very much like casual drinking. Sure. But I recently tried that and like drinking, dating someone who had different drinking levels than me actually became pretty problematic. Um, And it just like, there's like such a contrast in what, what we wanted to do in our values that I'm just like, not sure it's possible. And maybe Alex, like, I don't know if your husband drinks. <laughs> Cause I was like, I don't know. I might just say like, no, I don't know. If someone like goes out into the bars all the time. I'm like, I just don't think we're going to want to do the same things. And it doesn't make you a bad person, but like, how do we spend time together then? Cause I'm always going to feel like we're not connected. I think that's such an that's such an interesting way of thinking about it that I never thought of before of like, is someone pulling back from this opportunity to like deeply connect with me? And like, why is that happening? Okay. Maybe it is. Cause we're not, we're not vibing. We're not connecting. And we, it's so funny. Like a lot of the topics that we're talking about, um, we talked about in our group last night around fear. And, uh, I think two, three of the girls are sober, for the first time and two of their girls are sober and single and we were talking about like dating and one of the things all of us said who are in a relationship and 
have always been sober since we've been with the person that we're with was you just got to say it up front because if they're not into it, they're going to let you know, but you just got to be honest because especially if that's a huge part of who you are, you don't want to hide that. Like you should feel really freaking badass to be like, I'm sober. And like, you get me as me and I'm not going to try to like hide behind anything. And then, you know, it, it is, it is a way to connect to people. You're actually hanging out with them. And personally, I think like, if you're trying to connect with someone you're trying to date them and you know, maybe you want to get married, whatever, chances are you're not always going to be hanging out drinking. And it's so interesting that as a society, we use drinking as like this huge social connection piece. I mean, very rarely can I think of things where you're trying to go out with people and be social, like where people just do it without someone being sober, right? let's go to the brewery. Let's go to the bar. Let's get happy hour drinks. But if you have a sober friend, then maybe you start to think a little outside the box. But as a society, it's just like we lean on drinking as the way for us all to connect. But to your point, Janelle, it's like, is that actually allowing us to connect? Because I feel like the best conversations and the deepest conversations I have are with my sober friends. And when we're hanging or when I'm hanging out with my friends without that drinking, when I'm going to hang out with my friends, where they're drinking, I notice it's a lot more of just like not the deep connection. It's just kind of like random talk about random shit versus when I'm talking with people so in a sober way, we're actually having really meaningful conversations. And so one of the things, so my husband, I was sober when we met, I was 10 months sober when we met and we actually didn't meet. We went to high school together I worked for a doctor. He came in to see the doctor I worked for. I Facebook messaged him. We went out and I told him I don't drink. And he actually had a few drinks on our first date. It's like this whole story. He had a few drinks on our first date, but we had like a ton of fun. And it wasn't like anything where I felt like, oh, this is not going well. And then we ended up hanging out a ton. So I think after that, like he came over and we just like hung out and he hung out with me and my roommates and no one was drinking. And we went to a concert and I was sober and he, I think had a few drinks. Then we played tennis together and we went on a walk. So it was like a good mix of like sober activities or an activity where he might've had a few drinks. Um, but we have like a really good understanding. And I actually was sharing this with the girls last night. It was very clear to me that Jordan understood how important my sobriety was to me, even though I was only 10 months sober when his friends didn't understand it. And I, I didn't feel like I had to explain anything to them, but when Jordan and I, I could tell we were getting serious. I was like, here's why I'm sober. Here's all the things that I've gone through. Um, here's my background. And that I just actually love being sober. Like I have so much fun and you're going to find that you can do all the things that you want to do. I'm not going to like hold you back. And if I don't want to do something, like I won't do it, but I still feel like we have a really great connection. And two of his friends pretty early on when we started dating were like, well, we're going to get you to drink by the end of the summer. And I was like, no, you're fucking not. Like, I don't think you understand. And I was like pretty upset about it. And he was like, no, you're not. Like, she doesn't want to drink. She's a ton of fun without drinking. It's not gonna, I think, I think them saying that I realized this last night was a fear of losing their friend like him dating a sober girl was going to hold him back from doing the things that they were doing because they were 
all very single at that point, living together, going out to the bars. And I think it was this fear of, oh, we're going to lose our friend, but that didn't happen at all. I loved still going out to the bar, but I also loved just hanging out and playing cribbage with Jordan or going camping together. And to what you were talking about, Janelle, of finding values, I think it's important to find someone that, this is what we talked about last night of, I think finding someone that supports your sobriety and understands why you're sober and they're going to support you no matter what, that's what you need to find in a spouse. It's not necessarily like if they're sober or not sober, I think at the end of the day, it's like, do they understand like how to support you and stand up for you and your sobriety? Cool. Then that's going to be what connects the two of you. And uh, the other girls whose spouses do drink, it's, I mean, now Jordan and I are older. We The bar scene isn't, maybe we'll go, I mean, 2020 was weird, but I don't know. I couldn't tell you the last time we've been to a bar, but we'll go to like a restaurant now with our friends and like, he'll have a drink. It, he doesn't drink during the week when we're just hanging out the two of us. It's, you know, maybe he goes out with his guy friends and things, but we found a way that it works for us. But I think it's different for everyone and it's figuring out your own comfort level. But I think what's most truly most important as you're dating, if you're sober, is finding someone that just supports you and gets it and doesn't question it. And it doesn't make them uncomfortable, right? Like if it makes them uncomfortable that you're sober, that's probably something that's going to stay around. I think Jordan, just for me, I was very grateful. He just never questioned it. Didn't think it was weird. Didn't know anyone else sober until he met me. And, you know, we've been together six years this past weekend and we have so much fun and we do so many great activities together. Like our first date we went where there was mini golf and a Ferris wheel ride. And so it was like an activity and yeah, there was a drink ticket that came with it. And so that was like the story of like at our wedding, his brother was like, and Jordan found out Al didn't drink. So then he just took her drink ticket and drank it on the date. And I'm like, that is true. He did do that. But like, I don't, I don't know. That's like my own opinion. I just think it's finding someone that supports you in your life choices. Yeah, I think there's like a a level too though of um, when it comes to drinking of like where the disconnection line is. And that's also what I've been playing with because I can hang out with my friends. They'll have two, three drinks and it's like no big deal. Um, But I've also like dated people that are taking like shots. And then I'm like, oh, I'm about to lose you. Like there's about to be like no connection when you cross that threshold. And so that is like what I think I'm playing with too. And like D- I think it's almost like decoupling like drinking from also like getting drunk too like there's there's the difference there um and I don't know like I'm I'm definitely trying to play with it because I'm also trying to decouple like drinking for me sitting at a bar at nine o'clock at night like I'll do it every once in a while and I can have a great time sometimes but when I really look at like what I value in life like we're talking about it's like I would rather actually be out like on a beach watching the sunset and so I think like it's also figuring out not like I think sometimes I associate drinking with certain like scenarios because we see them there more frequently but I'm also just trying to own um that it not it's not always just like the fact that someone is drinking but it's like what comes with it but Rachel I saw you're gonna say something I was just gonna say I really appreciate the the call out of like it's less of finding somebody who who like exactly mirrors the lifestyle you're trying to create and more so somebody who can support 
you support themselves in their own lifestyle and support you in your lifestyle and vice versa. Um, I, and I do think that the time, the time with my ex and, and seeing that that can work, I was going to say like, I think it can work, but then I didn't really have much of a history and we've since broken up. So like, I was just like, I don't really know. And that's not why uh, it was for other reasons, but, um, but then to hear you put it in, in a really succinct way, I think, again, beyond, beyond even this conversation of sobriety, like looking for part, a partner who can actually, actually sit with you in your truth and, and, and support that for you, um, I think is, is like, uh, just such a universally beautiful sentiment that I don't think is really talked about that much. I, I would love to hear your story though. And like how you got into this, um, this space. Yeah. So I started drinking, um, at a pretty young age, junior high, I think it was the first time I drank. The first time I drank, I wound up in the hospital, probably should have been like a little red flag. Like, I don't know if this is going to work for you, Alex. Um, you know, you're in junior high. You don't really know what the hell you're doing. We, I think we had, uh, each had our own water bottles of vodka and we chased with beer. So yeah, recipe for disaster there. I ended up getting really sick, had to go to the hospital. It was one of those moments where I woke up the next morning and I was actually at home and I had no recollection of really what happened beyond a certain point. And I looked at my wrist and I had a hospital band on and I'm like, Hmm, I'm not supposed to be sleeping in my bed. I was supposed to sleep over at my girlfriend's house. And I like call my friends and they're like, here's what happened, dude. And that was my first time ever drinking. So I was mortified because obviously my parents knew I'm in, I believe I was in eighth grade. We had a conversation and my parents were like, sounds like you were just experimenting. Let's like not do that again. And so that scared the crap out of me. I didn't drink for a while. And then I got into high school and it was kind of like on and off. And I never really had huge issues until my junior year where I had my first blackout experience. And that was really scary for me because I did, I did things that I like wasn't super proud of that I feel like wasn't who I was. And that made me be like, okay, what are we doing here? And going into my senior year, I just kind of decided drinking was not going to be a part of my story. Um, I had friends that had gotten minors. They had lost things that were important to them. You know, when you're in high school, sports were very important to me and I didn't want to risk not being able to play my last year. But then I got to college and I went to the U of M and like most colleges, as you were alluding to Rachel, it's a big party scene. Um, I was in a sorority and I loved my sorority. We had so much fun, but you know, we, my girlfriends and I, from the dorms, like we would be drinking each other's dorm rooms, we'd be partying, we'd be going out. And, you know, I blacked out quite often. It was more often than probably most of my friends, if more not, probably none of them did really. And I didn't really realize that my drinking was different. I felt like this is what college binge drinking is. You get really fucked up and maybe you do stupid stuff, but that's college, right? And that was kind of how my college years went. I started dating someone my junior year and we were really serious. We had a great connection. We had a ton of fun together, but when I drank, we fought because I was super confrontational around about things that bothered me when I was sober. And I would just like lay it all on the line and we would end up fighting. He would have to take care of me. 
which is not fun for anybody who wants to have to take care of their girlfriend and sometimes not have to. And sometimes it was like rolling the dice, like, okay, are we going to get fun Alex tonight? Or are we going to get, I have to take care of you. And that went on. We dated for almost four years towards the end of our relationship. I was like, not really sure where I was at with the relationship. Ended up getting drunk, decided drunk Alex would take care of that for me. Cheated on my boyfriend, uh, told him the next morning, like went over, told him that was the end of it. And that sadly was my wake up call. Mind you, throughout my college years, there was multiple times I lost my cell phone, my purse, my keys, definitely lied to my parents all throughout college. Our relationship was just total shit. They loved me no matter what, but I was just not the great daughter that they had expected from me. I was really good in high school, grade-wise and stuff. My grades totally suffered in college. I was very lucky to even graduate because going out with my friends was more important than studying. And when I cheated on my boyfriend, I was 23. So I think I would have been two year, one year out of college. And so my drinking had continued the same as post-college. It was the same. And that's when it started to like realize for me, like, oh, you're not binge drinking in college. You're just a binge drinker all the time. And this is actually an issue. And I tried to control it for many years of just wine and beer. It'll be fine. That never worked for me. It was like this roller coaster is how I usually explain it, where we'd have a good night, then I'd black out, then we'd have a good night and trips to the hospital all throughout college. And when I cheated on my boyfriend, I called my parents. There was no surprise to them that something had happened during my drinking. They got me involved with a church AA group. Um, I was so scared to go. I made my dad go with me because I, to me, AA was like a group of like 60 year old men that had all these DUIs and they talked about like all the things that they did that got in trouble with the law when they were drinking. Like I didn't know what the hell I was walking into. So I'm like so terrified and we get there and there are men and women, all ages sitting down. And what they were doing was they were sharing their story. They were sharing their personal stories of what got them into AA of what brought them to want to be sober and listening to each of their stories And a little bit of each of their stories resonating with me. And I just starting to tear up. And by the time it was my turn to share, I'm just sobbing because a little bit of them was seen in me and my story. And I, that's when I was like, oh shit, I need to be here. I need to not drink. And I shared my story with them and everyone was just so supportive, so loving, so kind, so happy that I had found my way into that space. And so I was like all in. I was like, hell yeah, we're doing this. And I was all in for 30 days. And then I got to 30 days and I'm like, but like my friends are still going out. And I feel like if I just had beer and wine, like I won't black out. And I tried that for like two and a half more weeks, went over to girlfriends for a wine night, ended up uh, then going to the bar with some friends. And after that, don't remember, woke up in a hospital wasn't actually admitted. They had just been letting me sleep it off. When I woke up, I was like, so what happened? Well, we found you sleeping in a vestibule in an apartment. And 
the cops were called and they brought you here. And I was like, okay. So I called my roommates because I didn't have my phone or my keys or my purse. And I knew their phone numbers because it's a, my roommates were friends with of mine since I was in the fourth grade and 10th grade. So this was nothing new to them of having to somehow come help me out. They came, they picked me up. I had to call my dad because we were supposed to go visit my grandparents that day. We did find my iPhone, which was not a thing in college. We had to take taxi cabs when I was in college and I had like an old Nokia phone. I did not have an iPhone. So I never got my shit back because you couldn't find any of it. So this is like one of the first iPhones I had and I did find my iPhone and my dad takes me to where my phone is. Well, it's at the impound lot, my phone, my car with a brand new dent that I don't remember putting in it. And we ask, you know, what happened? And they're like, well, your car was in the middle of an intersection in Uptown and it was just left there with the keys and the purse and the wallet. So I still don't know like what happened to that date. Obviously I probably got behind the wheel, drove at some point, hit someone's car, decided to just leave my car and meander off into Uptown. And that for me was kind of my breaking point of okay, this is getting ridiculous. Is this the life that you want to live where you wake up feeling full of regret, shame, you're becoming someone that you're not, you're letting people down, your relationship with your family and friends is not what it can be. I mean, I could just tell my friends were just so over it. I was over trying to ask what had happened, feel like I needed to apologize. It just was like, all this weight was on my shoulders. And if I just was like, removed one thing, which for me was alcohol, it could just be this like lighter life. And so I called my parent, I called my mom, I was with my dad and was like, I need to go into outpatient. Like I just need to do an outpatient program. Drinking is just just not working for me. And I texted all my friends and I'm like sobbing, telling them I'm going to get sober and I'm going to need all of you to support me because it's going to be really hard. And I'm really scared. And I was, so my sober date is my 24th birthday. And that was like, so scary to me because at 24, it still feels like drinking is like your only way to connect with people. And I wish I knew what I know now then that that wasn't true. Um, because it was so scary. Like I kind of like you were talking about Janelle, I was so afraid of this loss of connection when actually like my drinking was causing so much disconnection and I wasn't having strong relationships with my friends. I wasn't the person that I wanted to be. And when I started to get sober, it still wasn't easy. Like the first few months I was just like, I don't know, like, I don't know if I can freaking do this, never drink again. And what helped me was truly an A saying of 24 hours a day because I was like, that's all I can think about. A lot of people would ask me when I first got sober, well, you're going to drink at your wedding. You're going to drink at your bachelorette party. And I was like, oh shit, I'm going to have to drink at my wedding. Like, how could you not drink at your wedding? Champagne toast. Like it freaked me out thinking about never drinking again. And so for me, I just had to literally be like, I'm not drinking today. And that worked for me. It might not work for everybody, but that's what got me through. And when I got to that three month period, the first three months, I just would tell people when I went out with friends, I, I'm not drinking tonight because I didn't want to have to explain anything. When I got to that three month, it was like, they kind of call it like the 90 day, like 
you're really like feeling it that 90 day high. And then you can kind of start to come down and you're like, I don't know. And I got to that 90 days and I was like, I'm in it. Like I am in it. And I told my family and my friends, like, this is what I want. Like, I want to keep this. And ever since, like, that's what I've been working towards. And my whole life and outlook and everything has shifted. And each year my sobriety has gifted me with so much more, but truly this last 12 months has probably been the most pivotal in my sobriety. It's allowed me to connect with new friends. It's allowed me to really assess what sobriety means to me, what it's giving to me versus taking away. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, I've really come to just own my sobriety. I shared openly on my social media at a year sober and the amount of support that I got was enough to keep me going because then people reached out and were like, your story impacted me. And I was like, crap, if my story is impacting people, like, I wonder how many people I'm impacting that aren't even telling me like this. I, I got to do this for myself, but also just show people that like, you can live a sober life and you're not going to miss out on anything. It's going to feel really fucking good. Sorry. That was really long. (laughs) It's so thank you for sharing for one. Um, I, I want to like highlight, cause I think I've said it and then you just said it and it's like, we've bought this lie that drinking is the only way to connect with people. But yet I think a lot of us have been saying drinking has actually fueled like the disconnection in our lives. I mean, it has for me. And I realized that that is like not probably a black and white statement. Like I'm sure other people might disagree and that's cool too. But that was a like, that was sort of the lie that I bought too. Like I have to drink to feel connected to only realize that it was like one of the biggest disconnectors in my life as well. Um, and, and also like, can I just say what the fuck? Like, why would people come up to you and be like, you're gonna drink at your wedding. You're going to drink at your wedding. Like, I do not understand that. Cause I've had that too, where I've gone out with people and like, I'll be like, oh, I don't want to drink. And then like make you drink. And I'm like, I just said, I don't want to drink. It blows my mind. And I think it goes back to what you said earlier. It's like, you're threatening something in them, but I just don't get it. I was going to say though, I don't, I don't even know if it's like an over th- like threat response. I mean, maybe for some people it is, but I think it's just so deeply conditioned in us that like, like, oh yeah, you're not drinking. Like, oh yeah, you wouldn't like, I, I don't think anyone is very present enough to even like, I mean, remove drinking from the equation. Like how often do you have conversations with people where they like, forget what you said, like to 30 minutes ago, you know? Um, but when it means that much to us, I think that's when it can feel like, wow, you really don't care. Um, I guess I'm saying that to myself too, because my brother, um, I live closer to him now and there's a lot of times where I will take things personally. And then he's like, I don't know if people are being as overtly like vicious as you seem to think that they are. He's like, I think even though it hurts you, you are impacted by it. I think people are a lot more passively like doing this stuff and not realizing it and not just with drinking with other things too. But that's been like an interesting thing that I've just been, um, when I recognize that I'm kind of like, oh, that seemed like, um, anyways, you know what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. Um, King, you were talking about a book earlier. Um, 
I would love to hear about that specifically because I think where it's going is, have you heard of the Temp- Tempest? Holly it's Whitaker? Ho- Holly wrote the book. Okay. Like okay. Woman. I was going to yeah. say, there's a woman that I'm like obsessed with and yeah. Okay. So I'll let you go. Yeah. Okay. So I got sober through AA. That is a big part of this. So I got sober through AA. I went to AA meetings two, sometimes three times a week, like all throughout my sobriety. And then when um, COVID happened and everything went virtual, I actually had my daughter February 20, 2020. And then COVID happened three weeks after. So it was like kind of a shit storm of everything. Like everything's shut down. Everything's going virtual. I'm in the newborn stage. And I kind of like stopped going. And then I was still in connection with my sponsor and I still talked to her. Um, But I just, I wasn't going as much. And I had bought the quote, bought that. I had bought the book, Quit Like a Woman, last year, and I wanted to read it. And then, you know, life happens. So I posted about it in January. Who wants to be a part of a book club and read the book, Quit Like a Woman? And I got like 15 people that responded. And I was like, hell yeah, this is awesome. And only one other person at the time was sober that was in the book club. And a few of the other people were like, maybe I'm going to do like dry January. So we read the book and it, what I love about the book. So Holly, I'm also obsessed with her, but so the book, she created Tempest. And so Holly Whitaker got sober a few different times, tried AA and it wasn't for her. So she created the Tempest, which is, she, it's called like a modern recovery system. And that's what I love about it is it, it's so modern and it's brought to light, like when I was getting sober initially, like there were things that would come up in AA that for me, I was just like having a hard time with. For instance, there's a whole chapter called To the Wives and we would always have to like flip it. So like for me, it would be like to my family because my family would have to be like the wife. So back when AA was created, it was kind of like the husbands were always getting drunk. And this is a chapter to the wives on like how to handle your drunk husband. But I obviously didn't have a husband at that time. So the to the wives, I always just like read it as to my family. And I was just like, well, like, why don't we update this? Like, there were just like weird little things that something to me, I was just like, I don't know. I don't connect everything with AA. I love AA because it literally pushed me into becoming the person that I am and what it's founded on around like you show up and you share your authentic truth and you just bear it all out and like that is there to like help inspire someone else I mean it's literally like what I feel like my life purpose is is to just share my story and like AA helped me to like see that but so Holly shares her experience with AA and she wanted to create something more modern around like self-care and how to take care of yourself and using sobriety as a way where you can be a part of sobriety and not have to label yourself as an alcoholic. Because I think personally, the label alcoholic is really like it pushes people away from the idea of being sober. You feel like, oh, I have to identify as an alcoholic. And if I don't identify as an alcoholic, I don't need to get sober. More and more people, like both of you, I feel like I don't know if you would relate to that term or not. I said I was an alcoholic for the longest time. Now I'm like having this like, aha, like, oh shit, I don't have to label myself. I can just be sober. I can not drink. I get to choose how I want to identify or not identify at all. And so she talks about this of just like 
alcoholism and how it makes it feel like it's so black and white. And like, if you don't identify as an alcoholic, like cool, keep on drinking, but actually there's all this like gray area drinking sober, curious people that are recognizing alcohol has this like negative impact on your life and they want to remove it, but there wasn't really a space for them. They didn't feel like AA was going to serve them. And so she created Tempest. And so when Quit Like a Woman, she did all this research on how bad alcohol is for you and how you're literally putting ethanol into your bodies. But my favorite thing, and it kind of ties in with what you're talking about, is in the beginning of the book, she talks about how smoking was such a regular like social thing and how, you know, everyone would just like go and get smokes and like have smoke breaks and like smoke together. And we smoked in restaurants. And she's like, talks about how her hope is how like, it's not common at all for people to smoke. It's not really like the social way anymore. It's not, you're not doing it in the restaurants, you know, you're not doing it. She's like, I'm hoping that that is the shift we're going to with drinking of like, you drink, but it's not like the end all be all like smoking was this big, huge thing for a while. And that was like this mind blowing thought of like, holy shit, smoking used to be like this huge thing, like drinking. And now we're in this like drinking wave are we gonna like be able to move past this and I think because of what she's doing in the tempest we are because she's literally providing people a way to look at sobriety in this whole new light of like it doesn't have to be black and white and what they talk about in the book is just like how she recognized her relationship with alcohol wasn't serving her she needed to remove alcohol as a way for her to show up and live her life and it's a form of self-care and so then she talks about you know using self-care taking care of yourself how you have to feel all the feelings and the book is just a really eye-opening way to guide really anybody towards just even thinking about sobriety and I think she just writes it so well where she like lays out this research her own personal experiences she talks about like what it's done for her and it's been so cool like I literally like tell everyone oh you should read this book I think everyone could benefit from it because it's just gonna challenge you a little bit to look at your relationship with alcohol more and then the tempest is so cool because it really aligns with what's going on today right now and I think also that's maybe why people haven't been pulled into AA is because it isn't modern. And with the Tempest, like right now, they're, I'm actually a member of the Tempest. And so they're doing a mental health awareness. It's mental health awareness month for me. They're tying all of their topics of recovery to mental health awareness. So this week, it's all about boundaries, boundaries and recovery. And there's all these different discussions that you can go be a part of. And it's leaning into connecting virtually and all these different offerings. And I don't know. The book is amazing. I think everyone should read it. I think you should read it with someone so that you can talk about it with people. We, with my women's group on Tuesday last night, a few of the girls haven't read it. And so they're like, can we all read it together? And I was like, I'd read it again. I fucking love that book. Like it just, it gave me this like new way of looking at my sobriety. And I think I really needed that. And it's allowed me to like show up even more authentically in my sobriety. I've always been super proud of being sober. And I've always been like out into the world, like I'm sober, I don't drink and like talking about my experiences, but it's given me this like new opportunity, I feel to connect with other people and then to help them feel empowered in their journey into sobriety and knowing like, it's not this like one way that you can get sober. It's literally, you get to create your own 
form of recovery, however that looks for you. What I, what I actually heard in what you said was, and, and I'm part of Codependence Anonymous, CODA, so I, in a similar way, um, I keep showing up because it is, I'm like, it's bringing a lot of awareness for me in terms of the, um, the defaults that are there that are not working, like not allowing me to be who I want to be. Um, and there's a lot of times where I'll be like, this language doesn't work or this it's, there's something off here. Um, anyways, but what I heard you say was, um, the previous model was very quite diagnostic and like, we're going to now create, um, it was almost like, we're now going to manage this issue that you have this disease that you have. And, um, you're going to basically learn how to just accept the fact that you have this flaw. Um, whereas I feel like there is like a, a bigger shift in general, even beyond sobriety, but it sounds like specifically with Tempest of like, okay, how do we give people their lives back? How do we allow people to sit with the experience that makes them feel alienated and isolated and actually love that part of themselves as an aspect of their wholeness. So now I can hold this part of me because that holding it makes me whole. It doesn't mean that it's a, a death sentence. It doesn't mean that there's a gash in me. It means this is actually a part of who I am and I get to, I get to celebrate my humanness and learn how to step into my humanness. Because even the things that you're saying are being discussed, boundaries and things, that's all like things I wish that we were all being taught right alongside one plus one. Um, it's absolutely insane to me that it's not. Um, and I'm in the work that I'm in because I want to be a part of bringing more of that humanness to the table. So I love that it's being integrated. Um, so anyways, that was a very long winded way of saying, sounds like the past ways, which can work, were a lot about um, recognizing where the gashes are in you. And this is about kind of giving you your life back, which is really cool. You also use the term, like you said, your relationship with alcohol. And I just really appreciate that perspective on it too. Cause it is like it, we're talking about this and like, you can choose to drink and I, I know you're not saying this, but you can choose to drink and have like a good relationship with how you drink. Um, although I do think it is a default that actually doesn't work for most of us, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> but one of the questions that I ask people now because I ask myself this a lot and for anyone like listening to the podcast too that was like intrigued by this topic like I'll ask myself like why do you drink like what are you gonna get from it or like what are you hoping to get from this experience and for me most of the time the answer doesn't require alcohol to get what I'm trying to get like unless the experience is truly like I want to experience what it's like to taste wine from this vineyard. I don't, you know, or like, or I really love the you know, taste of this, but I think most of the time it's like, yeah, I'm trying to calm myself down. I'm trying to be more social. I'm anxious. I want to numb out. Like the, the real whys are not um, actually like they don't need to be connected to alcohol. So I just like put that out there for anyone listening that maybe is like, Hmm, this is an interesting conversation. Like maybe I'm sober curious, like just ask yourself, like, why do I want to drink? What am I trying to get from it in this moment? And you can ask yourself every single time. And sometimes it might be like, I really just like the taste of wine and I want to have a glass. And, or there might be other answers or responses that have more depth than that. I, I love that question because 
exactly to your point. So often we're like, I had a really shitty day at work and I'm so stressed out. I need a glass of wine to feel better. And I like to explain it as, okay, well, is that glass of wine actually going to make you feel better? No, it's probably a Band-Aid. And then you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to feel even fucking more stressed, maybe with a little wine hangover. So like to your point, yeah, ask yourself, like, why am I going to have this glass of wine? Is it actually going to make me feel better? Maybe not. So that's one thing that I think is really important of like, what am I feeling? Am I feeling stressed? Am I feeling anxious? And having a toolbox of things that actually make you feel less stressed, of things that actually make you kind of feel the feelings, unfortunately, like that's the shitty part, but like it makes you better. It helps you be stronger to get through those situations. And we were talking about this last night of it's such a crutch of like, I had a shitty day. I'm going to have a glass of wine or oh my God, my kids, I, now that I'm a mom, it's like, I could go off on mommy wine culture it is literally the most saddening thing I was at Target and there was a t-shirt and it said mommy needs a glass of wine and I took a picture and I tagged Target which is in Minnesota and I forgot I know a lot of people that work there and one girl messaged me and was like I actually know the person that does these purchasings I'm gonna bring it up and I'm like you should because this is a bad thing and I see it all the time like funny TikToks of like mommy needs a glass of wine and I'm like okay but like what is a that teaching your child b like is it actually going and I'm not trying to shame anybody I think like if you need to have a glass of wine like have a glass of wine but also recognize it's probably not giving you the response that you're looking for it's not actually relieving your stress it's not actually helping you be less you might feel less anxious for that time, but then you're not actually working through your feelings. You're not actually coming up with ways. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you're not having actual um, work done. You're not doing the work to learn how to be less anxious, to feel less stressed. And I think that's the problem as a society, we've come to lean on alcohol so much as like this end all be all and this fix, but it's not actually fixing anything. And I think that's one thing that Tempest does so beautifully is it's giving us tools into our toolbox. It's helping us to, you know, make changes, to look at our life and to create a program and to create a relationship with ourselves to like learn to show up and navigate life in a really powerful way. Um, I don't know. One thing that we talked about last night with that is just like our fear of letting go of our, like using alcohol for things, I feel like is actually holding us back from like the life that we want to live because it's that fear. We've just come to know a life with alcohol, but the fear of what would that life look without it sometimes holds us back from like creating this amazing life that we could have. Yeah. It's like that, that alcohol actually stops you from living. I mean, it's, it's a bypass. It's a bypass to your, to your life of your life bypass of your life. Um, yeah, it's like you wake up and I don't know. I mean, I have said this before, but I think George, I have like read something or heard something from George Bush and where he said he woke up one day cause he used to be a big drinker. He's sober now. And, um, he was like, I felt like I just, my life, I was basically drinking my life away. Like I don't, I didn't remember time with my kids. There was like so many years lost um, to alcohol where I, I lost, like they were my youth. Like (laughs) I didn't get to 
experience chunks of my life. Life is short enough as it is. Like that has always stuck with me when I've kind of sat with, with this, with this space of like, okay, do I want to use this thing right now? Or do I want to live? Like, do I want to experience my life? Um, and that again, goes beyond just alcohol for me, um, for all of us, but, um, certainly for alcohol too. Thank you so much for sharing your story. This, um, I really appreciate the way that you have brought the topic up. It's like, you're very grounded. You're very like, um, I don't, peaceful is a word that's coming up for me. Like you're just very peaceful in who you are and being able to just share your story in that way, I think is very inviting. And so I really appreciate you bringing that to this space. Um, and so the last question that we always ask, or we have two, um, how do you live your true north in one word? Oh, no, one word. Can it be two words? Showing up? Yeah. <laughs> one Showing up. My one baby phrase. Up. Yes. Yeah, Showing up. One. I'd love to hear what you learned from this episode. It was so fun. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. I, I appreciate this topic. I appreciate you champion, like champion, champion. Uh, that's not how you say it, but whatever. Your, <laughs> your story. And like, I just think um, a lot of people can learn from from you and what you've gone through. So thank you. You're awesome. Thank you. This was great. Seriously, so much fun. I could talk about this all day. Thanks for listening to this episode. Hopefully you learned something. I really enjoyed getting to listen to this podcast again since it'd been over a year since we recorded it. And something that I just want to share as I thought about the question to what is one word that I would use to describe my true north? And it's evolved just as we evolve every single day, month, week, year. We're always ever changing. And for me, my word that I would associate with living out my true north today would be wildly. What that means to me is that I'm living a wild life, which means to be free, to be myself, to be who I am in my truest, most authentic form. And I want to question you, what is your one word that you associate with you living your true north? All right, thank you so much for being a part of this space. We'll see you on the next episode. Until then, let's go out and start creating ripples. Ripples.